Welcome to Betrayal Trauma Recovery. This is Anne. Before we get to this episode's guest, I want to give a shout out to our Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group members. We love you. We're so grateful for you. When you join Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group, you have access to multiple live sessions a day in every single time zone. You can talk to our expert coaches who can help you process what is happening. They can help you process, am I being abused? Am I not being abused? If I am, how can I set boundaries that lead to my safety? So to see our group session schedule, go to btr.org. We hope to see you in a session today. I want to mention here that I record these episodes at different times. And this episode was recorded, I think, in January, and we're not posting it until now. So if you hear things and you think, well, that's not chronological, it's because when we record it and then when we actually air it. Also, I talk a lot and sometimes I misspeak. So I want to thank you all for your patience if I misspeak. And um, thank you for understanding that I am not perfect and that I'm doing the best I can. Thank all of you for your support in spite of the uh, imperfections of this podcast. We have a review on the podcast that I'd like to share with you. Someone wrote in, an empowered victim. She says, as my world has recently been turned upside down, I found your podcast and I'm trying to listen to as many episodes as I can. Your podcast helps victims and survivors like me feel encouraged and empowered in such a difficult and traumatic time. I've also joined the Betrayal Trauma Recovery Group in order to reach out to other women walking through similar things, and we're all seeking professional advice along the way. My favorite takeaway is isn't to bash all men or promote divorce. It's for women to realize and create healthy and safe boundaries in their lives, whatever that looks like for them. Unfortunately for me, I am a stay-at-home mom of three young girls, five, three, and one, and my biggest fear is the financial and independence pieces. I'm working through those fears and what it means to provide the best life for me and my girls. The podcast also helps me name and process the depth of the hurt and pain, emotional abuse, financial abuse, lying, gaslighting, and sexual coercion. Thank you for creating this encouraging and safe place for women. We appreciate every single one of your reviews on the podcast. So if you haven't already and you're so inclined, please go to Apple Podcasts or your other podcasting apps. Every single one of your ratings helps isolated women find us. We have Jessica Barr on today's episode. We have interviewed her before. She is amazing. She recently graduated with her master's in mental health counseling. Jessica is on the board of directors for Culture Reframed, a nonprofit health organization with the mission to build resilience and resistance to hypersexualized media and porn. She is passionate about helping people navigate the myriad of ways the modern digital world is impacting our relationships and sexuality. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks, Anne. Thanks for having me again. So we are going to talk about something that everyone wants to know, and it is how do you talk to someone who you're newly dating about their porn use or their relationship with porn or even someone that you're already in a relationship with. And this is a very tricky topic. And we'll talk about why it is tricky. It's never a bad idea to talk about pornography. Everyone should be talking about it and everybody should be having layered ongoing discussions about it. But the tricky part is when it comes to emotional and psychological abuse and sexual coercion, the manipulation and the lying that happens is so covert and is so hard to know what's happening that 
even a discussion about porn where you feel like, oh, they really get it, could be grooming you because they're actually hiding their true porn use. So as we talk about this, I want everybody to kind of keep that in mind that there are no cut and dry solutions. There is no guarantee. Correct. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. So let's start there. So Jessica, when you're talking with people, what is your recommendation about when and how soon this pornography issue should be brought up in a relationship? That is kind of where we start. And I do like to always tell people right away that, like you said, this isn't cut and dry. It's not one formula that works for everybody. Timing is a thing, how much you already know about the person, what kind of history you have with this issue or betrayal, your own boundaries, your own activism. There's just so many variables. But I think in this day and age, every woman uh, who's wanting a monogamous, intimate, healthy relationship is going to want to bring this up early on in a prospective romantic partnership. What I like to do is because there's not a formula, I like to give kind of tips and tools and skill sets for people to draw from so that then they can combine that with their own personal judgment and feel out what works for them. And to your point earlier, you can do and say all the right things in this conversation and still be betrayed later on or even during that time. And so what I want to really emphasize is to take control over what we have control over. In other words, we can't control everything that anyone does, especially something as covert and secretive and stealth as porn use, but we can be really, really clear with ourselves about our boundaries, about our values, and then we can therefore take those boundaries and values and express those and communicate those to our partner or our prospective partner in the best way that we can. And so that's to empower my clients or the listener on this podcast to say, okay, I'm going to focus on what I can do. And then we'll talk later, you and I, Anne, about what happens if and when there is a betrayal, um, how to kind of go from there. Because again, we have choices in that too. We have control and we have choices. And I really want to empower the listener to know that we have choice. And especially in this day and age, women really need to own that choice. Yeah. And I think when you say they could be betrayed later, I want listeners to know they also could be betrayed during that conversation. They could be lied to and groomed during that conversation. For example... My ex keeps dating people that are my friend's friends. So I keep hearing stuff. I don't inject myself into the situation, but then I get these texts. And I got a text from a friend. She said, hey, I'm skiing with my friend today. She's dating your ex. Last night, he told her, quote, unquote, everything. And said, okay, if you never want to see me again, that's fine. She thought it was the most amazing conversation. She was like, wow, he's so open. But when I heard what he told her, it's not even close to everything. It's not even close. Some of it's not true. So the interesting thing is she thought she had this amazing like heart to heart where he really told her everything and she really knows about him. And she felt this is like a guy he told me stuff. But that's not what it was. So that's what I really want to caution people. You might have this great conversation about porn use and how they think it's awful and how they haven't used it or they used it and they've stopped and whatever. But if their intent is to hide their porn use, 
you would never know. And that conversation is abusive in and of itself. And this is such a good point and why this conversation we're having is so important. And I would like to frame this conversation as an exploration of ideas that you and I are sharing with each other, that the listeners can chew on a little bit and maybe even add some of their ideas. Like for example, to your point, somebody could say all the right things and be lying. And so we have to, as sisters, as a sisterhood, as women who are all affected by this issue, we really need to share with each other red flags. Like what are the behaviors to watch for? What are the changes to watch for? What are the red flags? Because unfortunately we're kind of in a position where we have to play detective uh, and be on the offensive around this issue. And it's not to say that we need to go around projecting onto our partners or prospective partners or blaming and shaming and accusing them. However, this is the reality we live in. And if I believe if the partner is worth their salt, they're going to hear what you have to say about it. They're going to hear about your concerns. They're going to say, hey, I've noticed this behavior change in you. Like, for example, I was on a relationship Facebook group the other day, and I read a lot of people's issues that are going on. And this one woman said, my I think it was husband or boyfriend of long-term stopped kissing her. Now when they have sex, he won't kiss her and she can't figure out why. And it's not a bad breath issue and all this. I mean, she's like racking her brain trying to figure out why she's no longer being kissed during sex or before sex. So of course I pose the idea that, you know, it could be porn, a porn watching habit. This is one of the symptoms of porn watching. And I have kind of the inside scoop on that because this is what I do for a living. And also I'm an anti-porn activist, as you know. So I brought that up and she said, you know what? It did cross my mind and I did ask him and he denied it. Okay. So again, you have that denial, but at some point she's going to need a reason why he's not kissing her. It's either going to happen in front of a coach or a therapist that she's going to get that answer, or he's going to have to get real about what's happening. I actually disagree. There's no point at which she needs an answer. What she needs is, if that is not how she wants the relationship to be, then she just needs to set a boundary. Agreed. If she doesn't want to go along with that, exactly. Because there's no way to force an answer out of him. There is no way to force an answer. But for example, if there's a reason around, let's say he's not using porn and he's not being unfaithful or dishonest, but he's got some serious psychological issue going on. I don't know what. She deserves to know that answer too. And to your point, if he continues to behave, she might never know. Right. If she refuses to tell her and is blamed on a psychological issue, she might think, oh, okay, it's due to this psychological issue. But really, it's still due to porn. And she would never know. Do you see my point? She would never know. I totally see your point. And the bottom line is, to your point, to take it even further, if that behavior doesn't change, then that's the real issue. No matter what the reason is, right? If, if he doesn't do anything to change the behavior, she is probably better off uh, walking away from that relationship if he's not willing to do that work or share that information. Or setting a boundary. If you will not kiss me before we have sex, I won't have sex with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it doesn't feel good to me. It doesn't feel safe. Yeah. We really try to encourage people of a trail trauma recovery not to look for reasons. Because you will never find them. Or if you find it, it might be a fake reason. So focus on the behavior that makes you feel unsafe, the non-kissing, and set a boundary around that. And that way you're always going to be on the right track. That's a really good point. I agree. I think the boundary around behavior 
is first and foremost, because ultimately I want these men, generally men, most of them are men, to stop the behavior. But in the meantime, the partner should absolutely 100% be safe and protect herself and exercise choice and make the decision that I'm not going to stay. My whole thing about relationships is that safety is first and foremost. And if you don't feel safe in a relationship, emotionally, physically, spiritually, like you can't have intimacy. Those two things cannot coexist. You cannot feel unsafe and also be close to somebody and have bonding and intimacy and trust and all of that. So if a person doesn't feel safe, then either she and her partner need to get to a place where they feel safe and make each other feel safe, or the person who feels unsafe, I feel like is better off alone than in an abusive relationship. And there's new data on that too. And I'm really happy about because, you know, there's so much data in attachment theory about the importance of bonding and attachment and relationship and how it is innate to our species and our health as a species. Like we, more than food, we crave intimacy. So there's this idea or has been this idea that at all costs, you know, you make the relationship work and you're in a relationship and you stick it out. And now there's new data that says, your health, psychological health, emotional health, physical, all of that is better being a single person or being alone and not being constantly in that state of nervous system arousal, you know, anxiety, uh, watching your back, wondering, questioning, because that wreaks havoc on the nervous system. So I want the listeners to know that too. I think there's a lot of people out there, especially women thinking, I have to make this work or I have to stay in this because the alternative is worse. And that is not always the case. The alternative is sometimes way, way better. I always say, don't even worry about the relationship. Don't even worry about whether you want to be in the relationship or not. If you set boundaries around the behavior, right? So for example, if you don't want to kiss and if I don't feel safe, I'm not having sex with you. The relationship will take care of itself. He will be like, oh, well, I don't want to date you anymore. Or he'll be like, Oh, okay. Well, I'll... and so you don't have to be like, well, if he doesn't start using a spoon properly, then I am going to break up with him, right? You could say, well, if he's not going to use a spoon properly, I don't even have to say anything to him, but I'm going to take my food and I'm actually going to go in the other room. I want to take just a short break to remind everyone that Trauma Mama Husband Drama is the perfect book to give to family or friends or women who you find out are just going through this and they don't know that this is an abuse situation. So you can go to our website, btr.org backslash books, or you can go to Amazon. Women are really finding that sharing that book with their family and friends is improving other people's understanding of what abuse looks like and what sexual coercion looks like in this context of pornography use. If you do buy the book, please rate it on Amazon. Every single one of your ratings helps isolated women find that book on Amazon. And although they might not buy the book, that will also help them find this podcast, which is free to everyone. So thank you for those of you who have purchased it. Again, to find that book, it's btr.org backslash books. Boundaries are really about us more than the other person. It is about us taking control, empowering ourselves, and it's about what is a deal breaker or or a non-negotiable for us. And that is really, really important because if you get into the back and forth and the justifications like you were talking about, then you're kind of giving your power away. Now, if you set a boundary with a man and he has questions about it, that's fine. You can 
Like, why is that so upsetting for you? Or why does that trigger you? Or that's fine. That's a really good conversation to have. But the cool thing is you don't even have to tell him. You don't have to say, if you put your elbow in my face, I'm going to leave. A boundary isn't something that you say. It's the action that you take. When you talk, when you say, hey, I don't like it when you put your elbow in my face. That's just a statement. It's not a boundary. You don't have to only make boundaries around deal breakers. Absolutely. You can make boundaries around any type of behavior that you're like, eh, this is not working for me. Exactly. I agree. And I do think it is helpful sometimes to share what's called sharing impact, where there are two people coming from two different histories. And of course, when you're talking about male-female relationships, you're talking about major cultural differences. I mean, we're socialized totally different. And then we grow up and we're supposed to like come together in this relationship and somehow make it work. Coming from just very different backgrounds. And so I think it is helpful in terms of communicating to share impact with somebody. So I might say to my boyfriend, when you raise your voice, I feel hurt. Or I'm reminded of my mom when I was a kid who raised her voice at me. And then I'm just sharing the impact that his behavior has on my being. And so that's good feedback. That's really good information for him because now he's like, oh, I'm not triggered by raising my voice, but obviously Jessica is. And so I'm going to try to change that behavior. So that's just kind of a mild example of how I do believe sharing impact with somebody and giving them that feedback can change the discussion and maybe even make people more open to diving a little bit deeper. It can also give you an idea of where this person is. So let's go back to the first question I asked. When and how should it be brought up? So for example, if you're sharing the impact of their behaviors and they react in a compassionate way or a kind way, right? Then you observing that is like, okay, I'm observing the way that they respond, right? And that is one little clue in your bag of clues about is this person a healthy person to be in a relationship with? So it's always a good idea to start sharing things and talking and then observing how they're reacting. So when it comes to bringing up the porn issue, if we said just general guidelines, right? And we know that it's going to be different for everyone. I also want to say you can't mess it up. If this is a healthy, great person, you can't be like, okay, if this person is super healthy and amazing and they don't use porn, but you ask them about it at 10 p.m. on a Saturday, it's going to ruin it. So you can't do that. So you have to make sure that you're sitting side by side so it's not confrontational and you have to make sure you blink. You know, no, I, I don't think anyone should worry about that. But in general, observing them for a little while, I think, and I'd like to know what you think, because I used to bring it up on the first date and I always got lies. They just lied to me all the time. So now if I were to do it again, which I, I would like to date right now, but I don't want to get online and I don't drink, so I don't go to bars and people aren't setting me up or whatever. So I'm not dating, but I'm open to dating, I guess. But I would be like, I'm going to observe them for, I don't know, four to six dates. See if I even remotely like this person first. And then maybe I might kind of foray into that. But like, why bring it up on the first date when I don't even know if I want to go with them a second time? That's my thought about it, but I don't know how you feel. I think that's great. I think you're right. You're spot on, especially because it, on the first date, you don't even know if this is somebody you potentially want to have sex with. I mean, like it's so it's good to get to know the person, take it slow. But when you start to feel like there is it's going somewhere romantically, I do think it's good to start talking about 
what are your views on this kind of thing? What are your values around this? And you can even bring up your past. You could say, well, I've had issues in the past with boyfriends or husbands or whatever who views porn and it was a deal breaker for me. It ruined the relationship. It's a boundary I have, you know, so maybe we can talk about it from that point. Right. A note here really quick. I just want to say Jessica is agnostic, spiritual, but I'm going to put words in your mouth here. You are not of the type that's like no sex before marriage, right? So if you're dating someone and you feel like, okay, this is going somewhere. I think I'm ready to have sex with this person. Marriage is not a boundary for you for sex. Is that accurate? That's accurate. Okay. So for me, my sex boundary is marriage. Okay. So when I'm looking at it like that, if you're thinking, okay, these are the things I need to know before I would have sex with this person, right? Your perspective is going to be a little bit different than mine because mine's going to be, what are the things I need to know before I would marry this person, ergo have sex with them? Do you see what I'm saying? Right, right. Absolutely. This is why there is no formula, right? Exactly. So your commitment level when you have sex with someone is way less than mine. Because I'm tying sex into marriage. So when I'm deciding, okay, do I not only want to have sex with this person, which would just be maybe a decision that was about a few things. I'm thinking, do I want to marry them and ergo have sex with them? Right. Are they marriage material? Yeah, that's what you're that's what you're thinking. And for me, and there's obviously a wide spectrum, but and for me, it's, it's love and safety and respect. I'm not loose or, or a boundary list or even what's the word dare I say liberal I'm not liberal when it comes to sex I think it has meaning and I think it's bonding and I think people need to be more responsible when it comes to sex and sexuality because it is a big deal and you know there again there's data that supports that what it does in our brain and how we feel bonded through that and betrayed when that connection is broken in certain ways. So there's just a lot to support that. So whether you're waiting for marriage or you're waiting to get to know the person and have these other values kind of addressed, it's important, I think, just to bring it up in a way that's about you. Here is how it affects me. Here is something I don't value-wise, I don't believe in, I don't subscribe to, and it's a turnoff for me to have a partner who uses porn. And there's a myriad of reasons, right? So like I'm an anti-porn activist. So it kind of does, for me, it does come up <laughs> right away because yeah, of course, right. Because of our jobs, it's kind of like, well, what are you interested in? What do you do? And of course, I'm going to say it right away. And, and then in a way that it's helpful for me because then if the person sticks around, great. If they don't, well, that helped me kind of weed them out, whether it's not just romantic partners, but friends, colleagues. I mean, it goes on and on. The interesting thing about dating and marriage is that porn can be an issue in the relationship, but you could never know. So for example, the person could say, oh yeah, I agree with you, yada, yada, yada. Let's say you're not getting married. You have sex and then a few months later, it's just not working out. And you think, oh, that guy was nice, but it's just not working out on your merry way. Thank you. You move on. And you would have thought, well, that was a good, nice situation. But you you may never know that porn was part of it. I think that's what the tricky thing about porn is, is that it's not like smoking. It's not like meth. I mean, people can hide their drug addiction. But after a little while, you'd be like, this person doesn't have any teeth. You know, <laughs> you can see it or maybe with alcoholism, you can smell it on them or something. But like porn, there's no tell. 
It's true. You may never know. And this is why going back to our, the earlier part of our conversation, you really have to pay attention to behavior and what is or isn't working for you. And I do think it's important to, to say, and this is just a guideline. Some people may not feel comfortable saying this, but I do. And that is to say that pornography, if my partner watches pornography, I count that as cheating. So if you're in a relationship, let's say you're dating somebody and you talk about what do you want out of a relationship? And they say, I want monogamy. And so, okay, good. We're on the same page there. We both want monogamy. I mean, these are things that obviously need to be discussed, right? So we're both in it for one per with one person, blah, blah, blah. And then you can even take that conversation further by saying, let's define monogamy in this digital age we live in. Well, for me, monogamy means my partner is not seeking st sexual stimulus outside of the relationship with me. And that's a broad statement that encompasses a lot. So not seeking sexual stimulus outside of the relationship. That means not going to strip clubs. That means not looking at porn. That means, you know, not even going to somebody's Instagram page and looking at their bikini pictures, seeking sexual stimulus. Now, it's not to say, I mean, obviously we live in a hypersexualized, very misogynistic, objectified world. Men are going to see sexualized images of women everywhere. That's uncomfortable for most women, but it is the reality. I mean, that's like the polluted air we breathe, right? You can't avoid it. It's just pollution. What you want though, is the person's commitment to not seeking it out and also to paying attention to you and the sexual relationship he has with you and really focusing that sexual energy on your monogamous relationship because that's what defines monogamy is that you're having sex with one person and it might not be a lifetime of a monogamy but at that time it's that person you know five years from now you might divorce and then it becomes a different person but it's still monogamy because it's one person so i would say as a guideline to define the kind of relationship you want and then define what monogamy means for you when you say to somebody point blank watching porn has the same effect on me as a man cheating on me. That's a pretty solid, clear statement. So then if he decides to go home that night and view porn, or when you're further along in your relationship and view porn, he is knowingly and willingly doing the thing that you said is cheating. Yeah. And I think going even further than that, saying this is what I see as monogamy. This is how I define it. And if someone is lying to me, about their sexual behavior and hiding that from me or manipulating me to, to make me think that that's not happening when it is, that is sexual coercion. That is sexual abuse. And I do not want to be sexually abused. You would be doing that. When I was really young, I don't remember how old it is. My mom was telling me about rape. And she said, if anyone is raping you, I want you to look them in the eye and I want you to strongly and forcefully say, this is rape and I will prosecute. And she had me say that. And like, she had me repeat that several times and we role played a little bit. And that's what she wanted me to say. And I want women to say that too. This is what sexual coercion is. And I will be very hurt and it will be sexual abuse. So if you want to participate in that, then you either go on your merry way or you tell me or whatever. But like, if I find out that's what you would have done to me. Calling it like it is and being really strong in that, I think is very important. That's part of kind of 
setting the boundary and owning your power. Um, I do think women find themselves in situations, though, that without proof, as you know, there's a lot of gaslighting and manipulation going on. So we might sense that there's porn use, especially if we come from a history of that kind of betrayal. Like we have a spidey sense, right? Like we know something's wrong. The hair on the back of our neck stands up. Just something's off. And so we might start, you know, thinking like that or talking about that. And if you don't have proof on it, that person might just be like, that's not happening. This is all in your head. What are you gauging this on? And then it's really important to be honest and say, I'm gauging it on this behavior, X, Y, Z behavior, and just open up that dialogue and just be like, look, here's how I'm feeling. Can help explore with me? Where is that coming from? And yeah, I don't have proof, but I can tell you something's off and I want to explore that. Now, the problem is with a lot of men, they start to feel blamed and accused and then a lot of times they'll go running for the hills because they feel like wow she's paranoid this is not really happening nothing bad is happening and but here's here's what i would say about that if he is a healthy person and worth his salt and he knows your wounds he knows that you have betrayal trauma he knows that you're a woman in this culture who is constantly affronted by these sexual images by cheating by the way men objectify women all of that there needs to be a certain level of empathy and compassion on the part of men towards women. We are a class of people who deal with this trauma every single day. Like driving down the highway, passing a Hooter sign or a strip club sign, it's an affront. That's sexism blatant out in the normalized in society. And that hurts me as a woman. It's offensive. If you're going to make somebody feel safe, you need to reassure them. You need to hear what they're saying, hear what they're feeling, and talk to them about it and reassure them. And if there's nothing going on, hear her, understand her wounds, understand her trauma, and be with her in that. Say, yeah, I, I get it. You're scared because you got burned before. You're scared because you were lied to for 10 years. You're scared. All humans, relational human beings, walk around with wounds, things from our past that are like our sensitive spot, our Achilles heel, if you will. And it's important for a partner, a prospective partner or a committed partner to know what those places are, what those sensitive spots are and treat them kindly. So that's what I would say to men who are listening or women who want to pass this on to the men in their lives is that you may feel accused, you may feel like you want to run for the hills because this person's coming at you, but you have to remember they're the one who is feeling unsafe, right? And so they need to feel safe. Here's what I say everybody's job is in a relationship, to help your partner feel safer. And I know that might be a controversial statement, but I do think that's... Yeah, I was going to say, depending on what the behaviors are, right? So if you're being manipulated and abused and you don't know it, you're trying to attach or trying to help him feel safer because so many abusive men will say, well, she doesn't make me feel safe, but that's just part of his manipulation tactics. So this gets really, really tricky. We are going to pause the conversation right now and continue with Jessica next week. If this podcast is helpful to you, please consider supporting it. Go to our website, btr.org, scroll to the bottom and click on support the podcast. And until next week, stay safe out there.